Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, so stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true comrade, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, those whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Good morning, Mountain Gate. Good to have you with us. Thank you for joining us. Well, it has been quite a week, hasn't it? How many of you lost power? That's just about all of us. How many of you still don't have power? Oh my word. Well, how many of you haven't had a shower for a week? <laughs> We'd like to excuse you to the back pew. So, you know, uh, Toby and Jane and I were talking before um, the service you know, most of you know we live up about 2,000 feet. We didn't have a lot of damage. We had about 14 inches, but not the damage that's going on down here in the valley. We got power yesterday, um, and we lost our phone also, but there wasn't a lot of structural damage. And somebody had shared with Jane, you know, <clears throat> what's the difference? Is our trees up there are used to the stress because we get more snow. And so when a storm hits, they're used to it. And storms in life build strength is the take home message in that, you know. When we think storms are all a bad thing, but yet if all things are working together, but the Lord is building into us strength somehow um, through the difficulties, though we cannot see that. And that really ties in well with what Paul was going through in Philippi as we've been looking at this book over the last couple of weeks, and we continue today. And so before we do, <clears throat> let's look to the Lord and have a word of prayer, shall we? Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for this opportunity to study your word again. Uh, thank you we have power here, and many have power back. We just pray for those that still don't, that it would be forthcoming soon. Um, we are certainly used to it, Father, and it certainly uh, makes life easier for us. Father, as we look at your word, we just would pray that you would uh, strengthen us for the trials that are ahead, that we might be a light to this world that is turning dark, as Dan did share, um, that actually that we might be a reflection of your light and your love and your grace. Father, we thank you most of all for our dear Savior, Jesus Christ, and his willingness to go to the cross and shed his blood for the remission of our sin, and that he loves us and you love us so very much to make that sacrifice. So bless us now as we look into your word, we pray. In our Savior's name, amen. <clears throat> Bill, thank you for reading that part of Philippians. We're going to be there. Uh, as you, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you know that I have sort of backdoored into Philippians by looking at Paul's experiences at Philippi on his second missionary journey found in the book of Acts chapter 16. And if you would, turn there again, uh, as I'm giving these few introductory remarks, Acts 16, because we want to pick up the story there. 
And um, Derek, can you help me up here? Because I'm hearing myself twice. <laughs> That's hearing me enough once is funny. That's, that's better. Thank you. <coughs> and um, anyway, as I was saying, I sort of backdoored into the study of Philippians by looking at what happened to Paul in Philippi. And because when Paul writes his letter to the Philippians, he's at house arrest in Rome, and he's reflecting back to the believers in Philippi relating to the experiences that they had together there. And as you've been with us, I better turn it on. I wish turn it off. All right, gang, help me out. We did this earlier and it was working fine. <laughs> there we go. Thank you, Derek. Um, <clears throat> Paul journeyed um, on his second missionary trip to Philippi coming in from what would be uh, your right into the city there. And his first encounter is with Lydia, who's a dealer in purple fabric. And he meets her down by a river where a bunch of women are praying and having a worship service. And um, <clears throat> she's an interesting character because she's not from Philippi. She's from Thyatara, which if you remember our study two weeks ago, they made purple cloth there because of the matter root. And she is probably a merchant. They were probably making it there. And she's selling it to the nobility because purple cloth is very, very valuable. But she's a God-fearer, a God-worshipper, yet we don't know exactly who, what God she was serving because the guilds had gods, and certainly the, the guild of the dyers would have a god under the Roman system and the Greek system. But nonetheless, she hears the message, she responds to the message, and then she invites the men into her home and she becomes the message by caring for them. Paul next encounters a slave girl. And this little gal in the center of the picture there represents her. And this little gal is following Paul around and she is basically proclaiming the truth that these men here are sharing with you eternal life. And Paul becomes irritated. And I left it right there last week to see if anybody responds. And Paul kicks the, the evil spirit of it out of her. And it makes the whole everybody upset for a number of reasons. Um, and this is what we looked at. Her gift was profitable to her masters because she was foretelling future events and they were making a profit. Uh, Paul takes that away. You take somebody's ability to make a living out of the way and they're liable to get ticked off at you. And the masters are upset with the loss of income. Paul is the reason for that. <clears throat> so the masters respond with an action and an accusation. They basically bring that whole problem up to the magistrates and basically say this. You're throwing the city into confusion and proclaiming customs which are not allowed to be accepted or observed being Romans. Now it's really important for this whole study to remember in our minds that Philippi was a Roman colony and we're gonna see that come forth in the lesson today also how important this concept is that if you were in Philippi, it was like you were in Rome. The customs, the laws, the way the whole society was set up, the opportunities that were there. We looked at the amphitheater that was there and the temples uh, in the previous slides a couple weeks ago. 
You could go to Philippi, same as going to Rome. It was a colony, much like the American colonies were a reflection of what Great Britain was before the revolution. <clears throat> and so when Paul comes in to Rome, being in Philippi, he is bringing a culture that's counterculture to the established norm. The established norm under Caesar, the man-god, the way of peace through power, Paul is bringing a different gospel and the two smack head to head right here. And that is still going on in our culture today. You take the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ out into our world, which is basically the same concept of the Hellenistic world. It's all about me, pleasure, seekers, um, do your own thing. These are philosophies that come to us down through the ages, down through Greek and down through the Romans, and we still basically believe that same kind of thing. So Paul is proclaiming something that goes countercultural, and it causes a fit. But also, <clears throat> where I left it with the slave girl last year was Paul got irritated. But there's another message in that. It's more than an irritation. Though she was proclaiming the truth, she was possessed by the evil one. And Paul is setting her free. Now, in the cost of setting her free, he goes against the cultural norm. But the take-home lesson in that lesson is that regardless of how profitable doing evil is, evil still sets you on the path to death. Because God's called us to an eternal kingdom, not a worldly kingdom right here. And so never get caught up like the merchants that had the slave girl and being upset with Paul because he set her free. He set her free from the evil one to live her life. And they don't see it. So never get caught up in the concept of doing a little evil for profit you think is going to work. It's not going to work. That's the message of that little thing. And don't miss that. I left it there to see if anybody would talk to me about it, and nobody did last week. <laughs> so anyway, that's the take-home message right there. <clears throat> so as we move forward, the magistrates have Paul beaten and thrown into jail. And he's there in the jail with a bunch of rats, probably. And they put him in, the jailer puts him in stocks because it's not to get out of that jail. He's held secure right there. But he starts having a worship service there in the prison. And he and Silas are singing praises unto the Lord. And they're praying unto the Lord. And the scriptures in Acts tell us that the rest of the prisoners are listening to this. Now, that's, they're more than listening, as we're going to see in a minute. They're becoming convicted, and their actions are going to show their conviction later on in the story. The proclamation of the gospel is always a path to cultural conflict. And the reason for it is, I think, is encapsulated in the 612. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the powers, against the world forces in the darkness, against the spiritual forces of witness in the heavenly places. Remember, when we're sharing the gospel, we will have people argue against us sometimes vehemently, even if we go in grace and love, or they won't hear us, or they'll throw us in the prison, or they will kill us. 
But we always got to remember that though they are saying it, the battle is not with them. The battle is against the powers and the wickedness of the evil one. And that is really important when we think about what Paul is doing right now. Paul is a Roman citizen. He has been thrown into prison without a trial. That is against the law. Okay? Why does he allow himself to be thrown into prison without a trial? We're going to see the answer to that in just a little bit. Now, here's where we've got to be really, to tie this whole thing together with what Bill read for us here and what we want to look at here in just a moment. Got to remember that Philippi is the colony of Rome. It's the center of culture, just like our world is the center of culture right now of our, of our culture. But our citizenship is in heaven. Now, that verse, our citizenship is heaven, Paul writing back to the Philippians is the only time in all of his letters he ever uses that phrase. Because he's building the concept like he wants us to understand or the Lord wants us to understand that though you may live in a colony of Rome and though we may live in the colony of Rome philosophy also, our citizenship is in heaven, right? We are in, scripture says, we are ambassadors And so the way we conduct our lives is going to be a reflection of our citizenship. And it should look different. Because our citizenship is based on a king that brings peace and love, not based on a king with power, as Caesar was. Caesar, if you worship Caesar, you're worshiping in a violent culture, exceedingly violent culture, that embrace the culture of death. And much like we now in America are embracing the culture of death. Killing the unborn, euthanasia, all the things that you can now commit your affirmed loved one and have them taken out. We are embracing in our culture. We are fighting over this right now. So it's important for us to understand as Paul writes back from Rome to the Philippians, he's emphasizing that your citizenship is in heaven and you are a colony in Rome and you are an ambassador for where your true citizenship really is. And that's why When he gets to Philippians 4, 1 through 5, that Bill read, turn with me there, this becomes so important. So flip over to Philippians. It's in the New Testament, by the way. Just I check. Now look what he says, and and set the stage here. And then we're going to drive the point home here in just a moment, so we won't forget it. Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Philippians, I'm sorry, these verses that Paul is writing, talking about this incident, are packed full with military terms. Now, the reason for that, remember, we saw the amphitheater. 
And in that amphitheater, there were gladiator contests. And if you remember, if you're here with us last week, I shared with you that in the morning, those contests would be animal against animal. And people were then just cheering for their favorite animal. Second, about noontime, there would be gladiator teams against animals. And the crowds were just going crazy as they slaughtered one another. And then if that was enough gore for you, then in the afternoon, it was gladiator against gladiator. This is a culture of death. And that's what the people were into there. So Paul, as he's writing this, is using these terms that they understand. So stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Now, I urge Hidea and Bill said it right, Sanatizi, I can't pronounce it, that gal, to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true comrade, here's another military term. Want to live in harmony, true comrades in this ambassadorship that we have, in this battle, this spiritual battle that we're in. And I ask you to help these women who have shared in the struggle. It is a struggle, isn't it? To live for the Lord in the culture and to be a good testimony for him. In the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, again, this is a team effort that we're coming together as a colony to have a lifestyle that is different, that represents where our citizenship is in heaven. So rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Keep your focus on the Lord. Rejoice in him. Don't let your focus get distracted by what's going on in the world. And we, we have so much social media, we have so much stuff going on in the news. I mean, it is really easy to get distracted and depressed about what's happening in the world. And yet Paul is saying to us, rejoice in the Lord, let your forbearing spirit be known to all for the Lord is near. He's telling this team how to behave. Okay, now what's going on here <clears throat> is we got a couple gals that have been laboring as part of the colony, as believers, and they're in a tiff with one another. Okay, and basically, if you look at James, I've got on the bottom there of the slide, if you look at James chapter four, four it basically tells us what their problem is. It's the problem we all have. What's the source of quarrels amongst you? You lust and you do not have. You want it your way and somebody's not letting you have it. That's basically it. And so we fight. And the Christian church has been fighting for years with each other. And we fight amongst ourselves and so we split. And we gotta ask ourselves, okay, are we representing the Lord Jesus Christ and the God of love when we fight in war against ourselves? Are we? Why are we fighting and warring with ourselves? Well, James is saying to us, because you're selfish. You want the church to behave a certain way or act a certain way or do certain, a certain way and they're not doing it. So what do you do? You change churches, okay? Or you badmouth one another. 
or you pitch a fit and you go whine to the elders about somebody doing something over here or whatever. And it's not what the Lord's called us to do. The problem is this. It's distracting from the real battle. For our battle is not against one another, but against flesh and blood, or not against flesh and blood, but principalities and spiritual powers of darkness. That's where the battle is, family. Not with one another. If we fight amongst ourselves, and we do, it takes away strength, doesn't it? You can only fight one way. It also shows, and don't miss this point, it shows a lack of faith. Because if somebody's doing something in a church that you don't think is right, and yet the Lord says all things work together for good, then who knows more about the situation, you or the Lord? Now, that is not to say there are times when you want to raise an objection if something is not done spiritually, biblically. Okay, if something within a church is anti-biblical, anti-what the Lord has shared with us, yeah, that's another issue. Okay, but most quarrels within the body of Christ have nothing to do with that. They have to do with formatting and things like this. So it shows a lack of faith. Who am I trusting? Am I, am I trusting my own intellect and my own brain to figure out what is the right thing to do? Or am I trusting God to work things out? Now remember Paul's in prison right now. He's a Roman citizen and he's been thrown in there without justification and without a trial. Why did he keep quiet? Let me submit to you because he is right now, he doesn't know the outcome of what's going to happen, which we'll see in a little bit what's going to happen with the jailer. He doesn't know that. But somehow under his understanding of who God is, he's trusting him that all things are working together for good. He was beaten with rods, he and Silas. And then he's thrown into this prison with rats probably and no food, put in stocks. And in the midst of that, He's having a worship service. Totally unjust. Now, how many times have we been accused of something or have done something and people have treated us unfairly and what is our very first response? Stand up for my rights. Stand up for what I got. You're not doing this right. I know better. That's our immediate reaction. And Paul doesn't do it because he's trusting in the Lord. Because the testimony of Christ is at stake. Now, I was looking for a way to emphasize this point so we would not forget it. And I came up with an idea. So I talked to some people and I, 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 um, I decided that we're going to have a little dramatic presentation of this point. I need a couple girls to... Art- no, I didn't go there. I wanted to get across the point of the spiritual warfare to us. So I needed a couple gladiators. And I, I canvassed some of the men in the church, and I found, I found a gladiator in our midst, somebody strong, youthful, robust, a little slow of thinking, nevertheless. So I got this guy, and he's going to help me. 
And we're going to put on a demonstration. So, Josh. I am Spartacus. Ah. Oh. Ah. Now, just so you understand, these are not gladiator swords, but it's the best we could do under short notice. All right. Now, the way gladiators fought the animals. Now, we are the gladiators, and you are the animals. Yeah. <laughs> we have to watch each other's back. You got my back? I got your back. Right. I got, I got, I got. Let's go down here so you can defend me a little bit more. Okay, I got about half of them. You got half of them. All right, you ready? All right, first one out. One, yeah, we'll take him. Okay, get him over here. Yeah, I got the, yeah, we, all right, we're. Would you quit bumping what? into me? Hey, what? What are you talking you know, about? Hey, this backside. is my message. I want to do it my way. Well, I'm Spartacus. So? Well, I want it my way. Well, I want it my, ouch, my way. <laughs> okay, well, you can have it your way. Good, all right, let's go back to it. All right. Get the point? Yeah. That's the point. Yeah. See, we're strong. We're strong when we're working together and we can defend. But when we want it our way, for whatever reason, then we turn on each other, don't we? And that's what happens. And our testimony before the world is gone because we're fighting amongst ourselves. Got the point? Say amen. amen. Thank you, Josh. He's really not dull of hearing or speech. He's... <clears throat> it's an incredible, important point that we get this. Okay, so moving ahead, we got to remember that we live in a culture that's basically bases everything on power. And the gospel we share is based on love and peace, and it's a cultural conflict. That picture of Caesar, that statue of Caesar, represents the world we live in. We don't want to act that way. We want to act that our citizenships is in heaven. Love one another care for one another. So we left Paul and Silas in prison. Now, <clears throat> turn with me, if you would, back to Acts chapter 16. <clears throat> and I'm not going to read all this, but the story is um, found for us in Acts 16, 25 through 30. It basically describes the situation that the crowd rose up, they, threw, they inflicted many blows upon them, and um, they threw them into prison, they fastened their stocks and feet, and about midnight, verse 25, Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and notice there, the prisoners were listening to them. They're paying attention to what these boys are doing. <clears throat> And suddenly, verse 26, there was an earthquake and the foundations of the prison house were shaken immediately. The doors were open and everyone's chains were unfastened. And when the jailer had been roused out of his sleep and had seen the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. 
Why? Because he assumed at that point that all of his prisoners had run. Now put yourself in that position. This, there's something really interesting right here about the conversion, I believe, of the prisoners as well. Because if you're in prison and you've been beaten and all of a sudden, and you're gonna have to go on another trial maybe, the prison doors are open, your chains are off, what would you do? What would you do? Gone. But they didn't. They didn't go. And Paul says to the jailer, don't kill yourself. They're all here. Let's pick it up. Don't do yourself any harm. We're all here. The jailer, verse 29, called for the lights and rushed in trembling with fear and fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he, the, the guard, the jailer, brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What caused him to ask that question? Was it that the earthquake, all those kind of things? No, I don't believe so. He's looking around, and all of his prisoners, for his sake, let me submit to all of us, had stayed in prison because they realized that if they left, he would die. And I believe those prisoners right there understood the concept of receiving the message that we've talked about and becoming the message. Their first act is to minister to the jailer by not leaving the prison. Why else would they stay? They're still there. And they said in verse 39, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved and your household. Now, if you want the gospel message in one sentence, there it is. But is that enough for a jailer to really understand the gospel message? I don't think so. I think that the jailer, as well as the prisoners, have been listening to Paul and Silas that night and before the earthquake. And they are, test they are a witness of everything Paul and Silas have been through. Now, remember, when they were thrown into prison, Paul didn't know anything this was going to happen. But he was trusting God enough to allow the circumstances that the Lord brought in his life to lead him and not to stand up for his own rights. And now he has an opportunity to not only witness he and Silas to the prisoners, but to the jailer. And the jailer, now he saves his life becomes to eternal life as a brother in the Lord. Now, look what happens next. It's the same thing with Lydia. Remember Lydia heard the message and she became the message by taking Paul and the rest of his group into her own home and ministering to them, insisting that they come so she could serve them. Look what happens to the jailer. <clears throat> And they spoke the word to the Lord to him together with all of his house. And he, the jailer, took them that very hour of the night, washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized with his entire household. And he brought them into his house, set food before them, rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole house. The jailer, he's baptized, his household, he ministers to them in his house, and it's the same response as Lydia. 
very same. Notice that? He hears the message. He believes the message. He becomes the message. You realize it's against the law to take a prisoner out of jail? You can't, you can't do that here. Kayla, if your husband did that, he would be in jail. And yet, that's exactly what the jailer did. He takes them out, ministers to them, feeds them, cares for them. He becomes the message. And it's so important for each of us to realize that, you know, I can stand here and I can proclaim this. Almost any person with a little bit of work can do this. But to live this out is not within my power to do. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. That's a transformation. Behold, all things become new. Remember what he said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must have a, be a new creation in Christ to have the Holy Spirit that drives you to minister to others. Going to church is great, but it's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's about an ambassadorship. It's about proclaiming. It's about becoming. It's about walking that road and like the Good Samaritan on the road to Jericho, it's binding up the brokenhearted and the wounded and those that need help. And they are all around us, aren't they? Sure, we can look out here right now and see all the damage. That's physical damage. But the storms of life hit at the spiritual level and the emotional level. And we just encountered one little storm and we're gonna have weeks of repair work to do. When you have emotional and spiritual damage, it takes lifetime to repair without Jesus Christ. And it never can happen. But yet the Lord is the God of healing. See? And that's where he's called us to work, is to come alongside and become the message. Now, in Acts 35 to 40, Paul goes, hey, we're Romans. See, after all this, now he says, we're Romans. What are you doing? See, the magistrates told the jailer, if you read the scriptures there, says, told the jailer, hey, set those boys free. And then the jailer goes down and he says, hey, Paul, Silas, you're free to go. Paul goes, uh-uh, we're not going. What do you mean you're not going? You're free. No. They threw us in here illegally. They got to come down here and talk to us about it. Why does he do that now? Well, we don't have a real good idea, but I want to submit to you, if you look at the whole context of what's going on in this whole thing, all of a sudden now the magistrates have recognized they have broken the law and they are worthy of death under Roman law for not following the procedures of Roman law. They threw Romans in the prison illegally, and now they should suffer the consequences. And Paul just says that, in effect, to their face. You deserve to die, because you threw us in jail without a trial. You think those magistrates are going to throw any other Christian in jail for proclaiming the good news in Philippi? I don't think so. I think Paul waited for the protection of the other believers 
that are Roman citizens. That proclaiming the gospel got Paul thrown into jail, but now these others are going to proclaim the gospel and the church of Philippi is going to grow under the protection because those magistrates realize that these are Roman citizens and they've done nothing wrong. Now I can't, the scripture doesn't necessarily say that, so that's a little of a supposition on my part because I'm thinking about that. Why else would he do it? I, I think two reasons. One is, and one of the take-home messages for all of us, and certainly myself included, is that <clears throat> trust in the Lord always and lean not unto your own understanding. On all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. And Paul knows that, gets thrown into prison, trusting God's going to do something. Well, he does. There's an earthquake and a whole bunch of things happen, but a whole set of people come to know the Lord. And then he gets freed anyway. None of that would have happened if he'd stood up for his rights the first time. So they meet at Lydia's house one more time for fellowship, and then they leave the city. And if you follow the story in Acts, they head off to that word, that city. Somebody say that word. Yeah, that word. Yeah. And this time, they they go to the synagogue and get in trouble with the Jews there. And then they go down to Berea, and there they're received a little bit more. So Paul's moving on, but he's planted the seeds to which he will write the letter of Philippians. And that's where we'll pick it up next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful story of a man that trusts you completely regardless of the circumstances. Thank you for his lesson to us of being a colony, and taking care of one another. The world is watching, Father, and may they see a difference because we love one another. They'll know we belong to you because we love one another and care. May we take the message, may we be the message, Father, as we go out into the world of Rome. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for calling us to be our ambassadors. Thank you for the joy of fellowship we have and just bless the rest of our time as Greg comes and leads us in our prayer and share. We love you, we praise you, and we give you thanks in our Savior's name. Amen. All right, Greg.